Well, I want to talk about sometimes I feel so insignificant. Sometimes I feel so insignificant. I read a sign the other day that said, No lives matter. The universe doesn't give a shit about any of you. In other words, in the universe, we are rather insignificant as a planet and as the human race. And you and I are definitely insignificant as individuals. At times, I think that that just may be true, that we are, in the universe, insignificant, and that you and I, on the planet, are also insignificant. At times, I personally feel insignificant. At times, I think of all the rushing around and all the activities I get involved in and how, in the long run, they just might be seriously insignificant not even amounting to anything important now, let alone eternally. And at times I wonder what difference the church, this church, any church, is making. Is anything we are doing as believers having a significant impact on anyone? So my question is, am I, are we, really making a difference in the world? Feeling insignificant is the same, at least in my mind, as feeling small. And as I was working through this recurring feeling, I ran across Paul's comment in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. I'm reading in the message translation. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small but you're living them in a small way. We didn't fence you in, Paul says. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small. They're not insignificant, but you're living them in a small or insignificant way. And in my reading recently, a comment by Benjamin Disraeli, British Prime Minister twice in the late 1800s, a Jewish man, he wrote, life is too short to be little. Life is too short to be little. And as I got to thinking about this feeling I have at times of being insignificant, being small in my own eyes, maybe in the eyes of the world that worships bigness, success, influence, money, power, position, popularity, I realized that Jesus compared the kingdom of God, which, by the way, is seriously big and powerful. He compared it to several very small and insignificant items in the average household. Jesus compared the kingdom of God to a mustard seed that grows remarkably expansive branches. Mark chapter 4, verses 30 to 33. And Jesus said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants, and puts out large branches, so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. And with such parables he spoke the word to them, as they were able to hear it. Jesus also compared the kingdom to yeast, 
a kitchen staple used in both New Testament times and even today when we're making bread. Matthew chapter 13, verse 33. And Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven, which again is big, powerful, expansive, is like leaven, which is very small and insignificant, that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Yeast looks so insignificant sitting in the pantry that you might assume it's nothing but dust, unless you understand its value to baking. There are at least three different ways we can look at Jesus' teachings on both the mustard seed and yeast. Number one, we realize such objects have very little weight or density and thus are negligible, small, insignificant in size. Number two, they are minor in terms of their relative value, since both are so common and inexpensive. A small bag of yeast seems pretty trivial when compared to a small bag of gold dust. A tiny diamond is far more costly than a tiny mustard seed. Both yeast and mustard seeds are quite insignificant from a size and superficial value point of view. However, mustard seeds and yeast share a third commonality, which is the very reason Jesus teaches about them. So number three, they both have a momentous, powerful, phenomenal impact when activated. When activated, the potential far exceeds their appearance. And, and the same is true of the kingdom of God, the church, and each one of us as believers when we are activated, when we open up our lives, when we live openly and expansively. 2 Corinthians, again, chapter 6, this time verses 12 and 13. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. In other words, get activated. As Christians, we should not apologize for small things which seem insignificant. As Christians, we should not apologize for small things which seem insignificant. Because as Christians, we must recognize that it is the nature of God to use small and apparently insignificant things for his glory, and that he often employs people and things that are overlooked by the world to have major kingdom impact. So why then do we as believers seem to consistently devalue the small and overly celebrate the large? Large churches with amazing facilities, Leaders who are obviously successful, as they have large churches, television ministries, huge followings. The current trend or most recent bandwagon in the Christian world. Why do we celebrate these things? I had a conversation one evening this past week with someone who was once in leadership in a church that I pastored. After mentioning the church he now attends, which is large, and the ministries he follows online, big and popular ministries, 
and the prophetic words currently out there on the World Wide Web, supposedly significant, at least in his mind, after mentioning all these large, very public ministries and events and words spoken, he asked me what I thought God was doing in the world today. I responded by quoting Hebrews chapter 12, verses 25 to 27 from the message version, because I believe this is what God is doing today. So don't turn a deaf ear to these gracious words, one last shaking from top to bottom, stem to stern. The phrase one last shaking means a thorough house cleaning, getting rid of all the historical and religious junk so that the unshakable essentials stand clear and uncluttered. He literally and obviously wrote my comment off because it was not spectacular, prophetic in a new revelation sense, but that it was just good old Bible. And it was obvious that he considered what I said as insignificant and not worth pondering. In fact, it almost ended the conversation. And it left me with the feeling of being personally insignificant because I don't have a visible, powerful, well-known public ministry, and I am just one of the little guys. And the feeling as he abruptly left was, so what am I, chopped liver? It seems that in North America, and even around the world, we tend to view small things as insignificant. Scripture, however, turns that perspective on its head. In fact, the Bible repeatedly shows how God uses minor things to make a major impact. Jesus used seemingly unimportant objects, like a mustard seed and yeast, to demonstrate the potency of supposedly insignificant and inconsequential things. So why then do we as believers seem to consistently devalue the small and overly celebrate the large? I think it's ultimately because we have become driven by our society's idea about church and culture. That what is that society's idea about what is significant and powerful and what is not significant and powerful. And we're not being driven by the gospel's idea of the kingdom. Our culture is motivated by an unrelenting desire for bigger better, and more. Our culture values large over small and much over little. And this life perspective has influenced the church so that we think big is successful and impactful and little is insignificant. So in some ways we're like the majority of the spies who scouted out the promised land under Joshua's leadership People of the land seemed like giants, and they felt as small as grasshoppers, insignificant compared to what they had seen. So if we change our perspective and look at things with kingdom eyes, we will realize the great opportunities for kingdom impact that each of us and all the tens of thousands of small house churches in the world really have. We would recognize that God has a consistent pattern of using things the world overlooks and using them for his glory and his honor and the expansion of his kingdom. Folks, Jesus changed the world with a dozen disciples, not with a massive army. 
The little boy's basket of food was used to feed thousands. Gideon's army was made intentionally small by the Lord. God often uses the small and the overlooked to display his power. But we do need to note that being small is not a virtue in itself. It's what you do with the small that matters. Paul makes it very clear that we must live wide open if we hope to be used in a powerful and significant way by the Lord in the world today. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, I'm repeating the verses, 12 and 13 in the Message Version. Paul writes, We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. And I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. So we need, as believers, to make the decision to no longer live life in a small way. To defeat the voice, the mini-me voice that's on the inside. And we need to open up our lives to live openly, to live expansively. But to do so, we must stop seeing ourselves as insignificant and start seeing ourselves and what we're doing for the gospel and the kingdom as significant and important. Because we are, and because what we do for him is, and the problem is clearly stated, we didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. That's the problem. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. There's the problem, clearly stated. We're living life in a small way. We all do it, one way or the other, and we all do it one day or another. So to live in a big way, we need to change the way we see ourselves. We need to see ourselves differently and eventually live life differently. We need to change on the inside. We need to see ourselves differently, feel differently about ourselves, and discover how God thinks about us. This inner change, this inner growth, this inner transformation happens in quiet. It happens away from the view of others. It happens when you have some time of solitude, when you have time to do some housekeeping on the inside, taking a spiritual inventory. The inner growth and the transformation of how we see ourselves needs a place and a space. It needs a place and a space where you can focus and examine who you are and why you live the way you do in such a small way. You need a place and a space to discover the insignificant mini-me on the inside and replace it with the you that God created you to be. Then when the door of opportunity opens to do something significant for God, you're ready. Then when there is a demand placed upon you to stand tall, walk strong, and be bold, it's there on the inside. And we are ready and able to open up our lives, to live openly and to live expansively. When David was chosen by God, 
and anointed by Samuel the prophet to be king. And you find that story in the first book of Samuel, chapter 16. He was not ready to be king. He saw himself as a shepherd boy, his mini-me. But God saw his heart, and not his outward appearance or abilities. Verse 7 in 1 Samuel 16. And God knew he had bigness in him. God knew David was not insignificant and would go on to do great things for the kingdom and for his God. God then gives David places and spaces where he could grow and develop and eventually be ready to be declared and enthroned king over God's people. David was not actually, did not actually become king until he had grown on the inside and defeated his mini-me. And this was key to his success, because at first he saw himself as small and insignificant, the last child in the family, the youngest in the family, the one who was caring for the sheep, which was the lowest job in the family. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. So how do you grow on the inside? How do you defeat the mini-me? How do you become ready for the challenge when it arises, the challenges as they arise in the kingdom, in life, in your relationships? Well, number one, stop listening to mini-me. Mini-me is the weaker version of yourself who coaches you into smallness. Mini-me wants you to play it safe and remain small and insignificant. When I was growing up, there was a tough group of guys the next block over from where we lived who were constantly picking on my older brother, picking on him with words, but picking on him as well with physical actions. They would be what we would call today the bullies. And my brother saw himself as weak and unable to take them on. So one day, my father got very tired of this and began to speak to my brother. And in reality, in hindsight, I could see now that he was calling out the stronger Keith, calling out the tougher Keith, calling out the bigger inner Keith, calling out the fighter that was there, and in many ways defeating his mini-me attitude. He also taught my brother how to fight, as my dad had been a semi-pro boxer for a number of years before he was married. And my brother Keith stopped listening to his mini-me, and the next thing I heard was that he had taken on three of them, all three bullies at the same time, in a fist fight, and won. My point is not that you should pick a fight. My point is that you need to stop listening to your mini-me who limits you, who helps you to be insignificant. The second thing you need to do is to leave your comfort zone. You can't live expansively if you're in a comfort zone. Comfort zones are places where dreams go to die. Let me repeat that because that's important. Comfort zones are the place where dreams go to die. And to leave your comfort zone, you must not allow your past to abort today's possibilities. To leave your comfort zone, you need to think bigger. Pray bigger prayers. Remove pettiness. Grow your faith by stepping out in the faith that you have now. Trust God more. Make consistent inner changes as you step forward into your future. Here's one. Take some risks. 
Realize that everything is working together for your good. In other words, open up your lives, live openly and expansively, not defensively. So leave your comfort zone. And number three, start living big. Live life wide open. Live life wide open, stepping out with courage and boldness in the various areas of your life. Live life wide open by no longer being so sensitive to what others think and say about you. Live life wide open by not allowing the small stuff to loom so large and occupy so much of your time and energy. Live life wide open is to risk what you know and have for what you might be possible for just what might be possible and powerful. Living life wide open is what keeps the doors of opportunity open, allowing God to work in your life and through you to do significant things in the kingdom and in the world. The opposite to living life wide open is allowing your inner internal smallness, your mini-me, to limit what you do and thus make your life insignificant. This is how your inner smallness affects you. It causes you to be self-conscious. It causes you to be slow to compliment and encourage others. It causes you to be slow to celebrate the whims of other people. It causes you to engage in petty and negative conversations where people complain, gossip, and criticize. This inner smallness, the mini-you, causes us to be envious of other people's success. It causes us to shrink ourselves to stay as small a target as possible so the world won't shoot us down. It causes us to pass up opportunities to, to contribute, being careful not to put ourselves out there where we risk saying the wrong thing or having our ideas ignored or rejected by others. Thinking with inner smallness, your mini-me, causes us to take things too personally, causes us to assume the worst in people or about people. It causes us to put focus on what we want to avoid, pain, confrontation, embarrassment, instead of what we want or need to accomplish. The mini-me causes us to let criticism lay us low rather than help us grow. It causes us to be inhibited to love out loud, not free to say love, show love, or feel love. Our mini-me causes us to turn inward, shut down, and withdraw emotionally. Our mini-me causes us to make excuses rather than owning our choices, our moods, and our behavior. Then, if you and I will do these three things so that we can live life wide open, the bigger you will overpower the mini-me and will speak up, help out, take you to new places of faith and confidence, give you untapped possibilities will now become possible, untrained talent will rise up and be seen by others, and undeveloped strengths will become obvious and powerful. There's a bigger you that just needs permission to stand up, to rise above the trap of small-minded conversations that have been having you've been having within yourself. You have to make a decision, and the decision is to abandon smallness. And it begins when you give yourself permission on a constant, everyday basis to grow bigger on the inside. 
And you can start today to change the internal dialogue and those petty mini-me conversations. And you can change them today into big thinking, risk-taking, faith-filled living, allowing you to then live a seriously significant life for the king and the kingdom. As I thought about this last summer, which is when the seeds of this teaching were planted, I realized that this is what took place in the lives of many in the Bible. David, Moses, Gideon, Joshua, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Peter. They were little thinkers. They had a mini-me. They were nobodies in their own eyes who accomplished very significant things. They all ended up doing things for God and were seriously significant and powerful in the kingdom because they defeated the mini-me. So like the mustard seed and the yeast, both of which have a momentous impact when activated, their potential far exceeds their appearance. So you and I, we can have a momentous impact when we activate and release the true person God created us to be. The potential that is in us as believers and followers of Jesus will be activated when we defeat the mini-me voice and believe all that God has spoken to us in his word. You can never be insignificant when you ignore mini-me and re release the big person inside.